All right, beautiful humans. Welcome back to another episode of Naked Sunday. I'm your host, Caleb Nelson. I have my guest here, Kellen. Kellen, what's your last name? Let me make sure I say this properly. I should have asked this before. <laughs> it's okay. Flukiger. Flukiger. I was going to say Flukiger, and that was a bit of weight off. So I appreciate you stepping in. No, <laughs> it used to have a, it used to have a umlaut, Flukiger, you know, over the year. And it's uh, Swiss. And the two most common mistakes are fluck instead of fluke, uh, and then putting an N in it, injure. Fluckinger is what I usually get, and it's flukiger. Well, I appreciate you bearing with me. I struggle with names. I And usually a lot of people, I got to like say their name 24 times before I like stick, just because, and I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say you meet a lot of people too. So like I struggle. Like I'll, But that being said, I'll met, like meet somebody, I'll see their face, I'll remember that, and I'll remember like... You know, they broke their knee when they were seven and this, that, and the other thing, but it's the name thing that I struggle with. But uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Really excited to hear more about your story. We were just talking for a good, what, four or five minutes beforehand. And um, I like to start every episode off with why I appreciate my guest. And we've had, like I said, maybe five, seven minutes of getting to know each other. And uh, one of the questions I ask is, is there anything off limits? And the way you responded was like, just no. Like I, I respected how, and you know, you gave me a longer answer than that, but when you made it succinct, like, no, there's nothing off limits. You're in your writing and in your work. You, it's pretty obvious to me that you're very vulnerable and real about your journey. And I think that that is really empowering. And especially a lot of people who wear a mask as they go about their entire life, hiding their own gifts and hiding themselves from the people that they love is, and I think that's really tragic. And I think people like yourself and anybody else who leads with that integrity and that authenticity almost gives people, other people who are afraid the permission to step into their own light. So just wanted to share that with you. It meant a lot to me and uh, all the more reason why I'm excited to get to know more about your story today, my friend. Thank you. I'd like to, um, something that I really feel is to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing there. A podcast is a labor of love. There's a lot of work that goes into it and you don't really sell it. It's free on all the platforms and maybe there's a little biz dev that comes from it, but there's a lot of effort and work and those that do it. And I, you know, I have a gal that does nothing but that. And I've probably appeared in the last six months on 150 platforms and I'm just grateful to every host and today it's you for the effort that you go through to add good to the world, to lift people's spirits, to help them be the most of themselves. And so I really appreciate you. Getting me all my feels to start this off. I really that means a lot to me, man. And uh I feel like that only adds more to the sentiment of us learning how to appreciate each other more in this world. I wish we did as a global entity we did more of that i think we'd find a lot more happiness and fulfillment within each ourselves um let's get this going th now though like you know yourself better than i know you so kellen my first question to you today is who are you so i have a a six page statement that describes myself i call it a ptac hmm. personal truth and commitment statement because at the end of the day, we live, and those of us that have struggled for decades with depression like I do, but all of us, whether we have any depression or anything else or not, we all yearn to do things that matter, but we struggle with the feeling of inadequacy and a fear of judgment. 
And because of that, we live with a, a disease I call the WITOT disease, and that's an acronym, W-I-T-O-T, what I think others think. Hmm. And so much of what we do, say, be, act, goes through the lens of judgment of what we think someone else will think about that. So the question, who am I? Uh, a little, uh, and so here's what happened because I felt that all the time too. You make a the decision, you want to do something, and you maybe want to change something about yourself. You want to be better, create something, and then there's all these voices underneath. Nibble, nibble, nibble. You can't do that. Who are you? You know, what will they think? What will somebody? And all that stuff. And sometimes we call it voices on the shoulder, or I have a client calls it the committee in his mind. You know, whatever we describe that as. And so one day I thought. And that, to me at least, that always feels like it's underneath. So here's my good stuff, and then there's this nibbling underneath. And so I ask one day, why does it always feel like there's something underneath everything I try to do, especially that's good and powerful and change-oriented and all that jazz? So then I said, well, what would it take to get underneath that? Like, where is the bedrock for which there is no underneath, the absolute bedrock. And I went through a very uh, soul-searching, not complicated, but rigorous, I guess is the right word, process to think about it, to research, to study, understand what would it take? Like, what does that mean? So there's really no underneath. And it came back with the simplest answer, and that is this. We are who we decide we are. Our declarations of self are fundamental and sovereign. And the truth is, what anyone thinks about those, one, doesn't matter, and two, is on top, not underneath. So if you want to create the underneath, the bedrock, it starts with a declaration. So that's where a personal truth and commitment statement came from. And I'm not going to tell you the whole six pages. One, there's some very personal things in there. But two, it's something I have memorized, I listen to, I read, and I have a two-and-a-half to three-hour morning ritual that I do every day without fail. And the reason I do is because I have chosen to be and show up a certain way in the world. My choice, my decision, no one needs to approve, no one needs to agree, and I don't even care. And because that's so important to me, I commit to that, and I refresh it, and I review it, and I feel into it and live into it every day. So a little piece of that starts like this. I am a beacon of light. I am a vessel of love. I am a conduit of power. I am a son of Almighty God. I am at cause. I create my thoughts my feelings, my body, my spirit, and my circumstance. I am the ultimate catalyst for personal transformation. My name is Kellen. That's a little piece of that kind of thing. And you can feel, and it's longer, there's things, you know, I am honesty and speak only truth. I am integrity. I do what I say. I am who I seem with no camouflage, duplicity, or guile. I am forgiveness. I hold no anger, bitterness, or judgment toward anyone for anything, including myself. And other statements that I'm not pretending to be perfect, and that's often a fear that we have about saying things like that. 
But the answer is either don't do it and, and kind of through life or declare greatly, fail greatly. And whenever you fail, get up, fess up, clean it up and recommit. So that's a long answer to who is Kellen today. What I really like in that, I've heard somebody else share something similar, like whatever comes after the I am and the I am statement, it really is like this powerful, like binding verbal contract you're having with yourself. And what I love about where you went with it is whether we are perfect and living up to that idea is not, it's not what it's about. It's about we're, in, we're pursuing that. And if you do fail, own up, apologize. If you even put room for forgiveness, I would go out on a limb and say forgiveness of oneself is also just as profound in that statement. So that's really cool. And I, I don't think enough people spend enough time making their own, how'd you say it? PTAC? Personal, tra- Personal truth and commitment. Well, I, it's something I work on with a client after I've been working with them for a year or so, or even more, if they're really ready. There's lots of people that have gone to different conferences and, you know, I am a wonderful, caring, compassionate man and, or woman. And, 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 you know, I am a kind, delightful, creative person. And they say all those things and there's nothing wrong with them. Mm. But often they, they come across even to us as what I call affirmations and affirmations, there's nothing wrong with them, but they are lightweight. And the reason they are is because they're usually things we don't believe about ourselves that we hope through repeated repetition to make ourselves believe. A declaration on the other hand is a foundational pronouncement that cannot be challenged because no one needs to agree with or give you permission to declare who you are as the sovereign architect of your life. And you must give room to forgive yourself with great compassion because those who dare greatly fail greatly every time. So our choice is to wimp and do nothing or to declare greatly Clean it up and recommit. I like that a lot, especially because I think so many people sell themselves short and that, that declaration, I, I, I feel that difference in the, in that, like the initiative behind it and the belief behind it, that that's really is, is quite resounding. How did we get here? Take it, take us on the journey for anybody who hasn't, I mean, I don't know the full story either. And you, you kind of brushed over it in five minutes earlier. I was the, like, Oh, I'm ready to dive in. Let's go. The man, the man you see now would not be recognizable 14 years ago, 15 years ago. I was raised in a two parent home in the San Francisco Bay area in middle-class ish. And, <clears throat> you know, kind of a little on the lower side, I think, because we always had the story of can't afford growing up. Mm-hmm. I don't know but we never wanted for anything in terms of food or any of that kind of stuff. We had a house and all that jazz. Um, But my mother was very young when she got married and was committed to a certain religious bent. And consequently, she enforced her discipline with discipline that today would be felony child abuse. Uh, She beat the shit out of me a lot. And... um, I remember even in high school as a teenager getting dressed last in the locker room because I didn't want people to see I was black and blue because I was ashamed 
because there must be something wrong with me. And what it did, what I took away from that, and I've long since forgiven her and it's over, and people, this is why I, one of the books I just finished is a book titled Forgiveness, A Journey of Courage to a Place of Freedom and Power in December, and it'll be out in about a month. But anyway, it left me knowing, like only childhood impressions do, left me knowing that I was fundamentally flawed. I was not okay. I never would be good enough. No matter what I did, I was not okay. The other thing it did is, well, you don't talk about stuff that goes on in your family. It's all private. And and besides that, counselors and other people, their only purpose is to take you away from God because they're all godless pigs. So I lived my adult life from 17 when I left home till I was 52 for 35 years, never talking to anyone. Convinced that I was not good enough, trying to get my mother's approval. You'd think you'd sort of get rid of that when you left home, but I didn't because I believed she must be right and I sucked. So I lived with that and consequently uh, I struggled with depression. Not good enough, not good enough. Examples, I wanted to be a musician. I was born with some musical talent. My mother was also a musician, but she thought your only musical work should be in the community and church because real musicians that did it for a living were all evil and, you know, unfaithful, drunks and whatever. And then on top of that, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area during the time when hippies showed up. And I remember the hippie funeral in the summer of love, 67, and the whole nine yards, which for many people is going to be like, what? I wasn't born then. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I was, and I lived through all that, and that was all evil, rotten. And so even later when I wanted to do that, I opened a recording studio. I started doing some music professionally. It was not okay, and that was not the way to get okay in the family. Consequently, nothing that I ever wrote, composed, albums I did or anything, they've never listened to them. It's like not. I don't even think they've read any of my books, with the exception of one or two of my sibs. Of, of a couple of them, certainly not many. So I lived with that belief and that cycle of depression. And so I did a lot of self-sabotage when things went really well. I sabotaged it. What I mean by that is I was married and divorced three times. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know how to be a partner. I didn't know how to tell the truth. I learned to lie to protect myself as a kid. And I don't know about a diagnosis, but I felt like a pathological liar. I was really good with memory, so I never got caught, and I could remember all my fantastic stories and had the ability to sort of create reality any way I wanted. Um, Then I also had problems with drugs, so even I was a high-functioning addict, in and out of rehab, different bouts with alcohol and cocaine and, you know, all kinds of other stuff. Uh, And so I ended up, you know sabotaging both career opportunities after I made big successes and relationships. So married and divorced three times, uh, made a lot of money, uh, was making so much money at different times. I mean, like I even had bodyguards at one point because I was making important decisions. I was forbidden to fly on planes with certain people because the company I was with couldn't afford to lose me under any circumstances. And, you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of like movie crap, right? The problem with all that is on the outside, it was like, whoa. And on the behind the scenes, it was like, ah, this disaster. Okay. Secret rehab facilities that they send, you know, those kind of people to and that sort of stuff. 
That was the life for 35 years. So life in the fast lane with all the disaster that goes with it. In 2007, uh, I was 35 years later. I'm 52. I'm single for the third time. I had four of my 10 children living with me, teenagers. Three of them were grown up and married, and three were living with one of my exes. It's embarrassing to say that, but true. And I was a $3,000 a week cocaine addict and making so much money that didn't matter. I got home on a Friday night in August of 2007. It's disgusting when I think about how much money I wasted in those pursuits. But anyway, Friday night, August of 2007, I got home getting ready to go out and party for the weekend. And for some reason, I had to go. I felt urged to turn on the TV. Now, that doesn't sound like anything except I didn't watch TV. And when I went to turn it on, I realized I didn't know how. I'd had uh, the, the electronic store come and put in the biggest, coolest stuff because, you know, that's what you have, right? But I didn't know how to turn on the TV, so I had to ask one of my kids. And my 16-year-old daughter, you know, she turned on the t with the remote and threw it at me and went out of the room, right? It dipped weed. It landed on a program titled Intervention which I had never heard of, but which is a reality TV show where families stage interventions for loved ones who are busted. Well, I'd never heard of it, and I watched it for about 10 minutes, and the protagonist was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. Wow. So I watched about 10 minutes, and I said, yeah, screw this crap. I'm not watching it. So I turned it off and did some stuff and was getting ready to go out, and I felt compelled to turn on the TV again. So this time I knew how. And I turned it on, and that program started over at the beginning. And no, I don't have a DVR, and no, it wasn't on the schedule, and no, it can't do that. I understand. Wow. It did, and it freaked me out, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to watch this. So I did, and it went badly. The guy yelled at his family, refused all the help, screamed at everybody, stomped out. But it freaked me out enough that I didn't go out. I went to bed. When I went to bed, <clears throat> I went to hell. What I mean by that is I went somewhere. I felt out of body. I felt I was in a thing that felt like a theater. It was big, dark, and empty. And on the stage in front, the scenes, not quickly, slowly, of my life paraded on the, across the thing. And it was really focused on suffering, the suffering that I had been inflicted on me as a kid, all the way through the suffering I had inflicted on everybody else which was way more, but, you know, the last decades. And it went on for an interminable period of time. And I have never borne witness to so much grief. It, it was, I, I, don't, I, I don't have the language to describe how it felt. But anyway, after a period of time, a long period of time, a quiet voice simply said, it is enough. I woke up. And the sun was shining in the windows, which was weird, of my bedroom, which was weird because the windows faced west. And I got up and realized it was 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon. So I'd been somewhere for nearly 18 hours. And I got up and realized I, I'd been invited to change. But I had no idea what to do and no clue what was next. And... I just knew that, okay, it, it is enough. So I threw away $1,000 worth of stuff I had laying around, because I always did, and kind of trying to figure out what to do, but I quit. Cold turkey, and one day, we're done. Wow.
And that was the first half. That got me sober. But it didn't do anything to address the depression and self-loathing, which was actually the root of all this. The drugs and alcohol and all that other stuff were the medicine that I self-administered, but the root was the self-loathing. So two weeks later, the other shoe dropped. In the, I hadn't quit yet, uh, walked away from the positions I had. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in the positions I did have, I got a lot of free stuff because they made important decisions. Other CEOs and people in other companies, they wanted to be nice to Kellen, right? So I got mm. free tickets to this and free expensive bottles of that and all that kind of crap. One of the things I got was a free pair of tickets to see Yo-Yo Ma. Mm. Uh, if you know who classical, if you know classical music, you know who that is. And if you don't, you don't. But in that world, he's like, oh, okay. And so I thought it would be a real shame to waste this other ticket. And I was single and I thought, so I asked in the groups that I managed, I said, well, who likes classical music? And some lady in one of the groups said, well, uh, I do. And I said, okay, cool. Have I ever given you anything before? And she said, no. I said, okay, fine. See you there. I gave her the ticket and that was it. We met at the venue and <clears throat> halfway through the show, and it was electrifying. I got to remember, I'm two weeks stone cold sober at this point. Halfway through the show, I had this feeling come over me. And the voice said in my head, well, I recognized the feeling, right? The voice came in my head and said, <clears throat> you need to marry this woman. And I said, you're insane. You know, I've done that, ruined that three times officially with some of their messes in between. You know, it's not happening. And, and then later that night, <clears throat> we were backstage because, of course, they were backstage passes. And... Uh, the voice came back, comma, <clears throat> and you need to tell her tonight. And I argued. I thought, you know, she's going to be arrested for, like, harassment or something. I mean, this is crazy. I can't do that. But you don't win those arguments. So I did, and it went about like you would have expected. Are you insane? Like, uh, I don't even know you. <laughs> what are you talking about? And uh, But she didn't have me arrested. She did not have me arrested. So <clears throat> within the next couple of weeks... She had her own set of experiences, and uh, she resigned her position, and she had a very good career. She was a project manager in one of the departments. I walked away from millions of dollars of contracts, and we walked off into the sunset together with no idea what we were going to do. And about two and a half months ago, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. So the story is incredible, but the important part is that she was the angel that was sent to help me with the depression. I had to learn, and she helped me to, first of all, talk to someone. I had never done that in my life. She had to teach me how to be a friend, how to have a friend, how to tell the truth. I mean, she was in unflagging and finding people for me to talk to and different counselors. And, you know, just I've asked her like a thousand times, what in the world possessed you to walk away from your career and into the sunset with a drug addict? I mean, everybody knew, but they didn't know, right? And she said, you know, I just knew to the core of my soul, it was the right thing to do. Wow. So those were the two things that started, and they were both invitations. Our intuition and divine stuff is always issued as an invitation. And for the first time, I said yes. Wow. Had you in your past been given those invitations, uh, to your knowledge, or were you, like, did you just like... 
was it kind of like a blur and you didn't really get to acknowledge them or notice them in your passing? We all have. And we all feel intuition and that tug and that yearning to do something, to, to try something, to go somewhere, to take a chance, to do different things. And some, yeah, often they feel right and we, sometimes we do them and often we don't. Mm. And, you know, it, my discovery has been that it gets easier to say yes when you keep your radio station tuned when you practice with meditation and listening and quiet time and tune into the frequency, if you will, if you want to use woo-woo language, tune into the frequency of the divine. There's no shortage of intent on the part of the universe or the creator to help us be successful. And, you know, I, I of course I'd received ideas and thoughts and feelings. I think it took a two by four because I was so thick headed perhaps. And because I had so long lived in the chains of my own self-loathing. Wow. Something that really stuck out for me in your story was all this external success, no matter what didn't fill that void. And I think that that's becoming this, I think there's becoming a more global awareness around this, but I think it, it can never be brought up enough because you never know who is going through it and never like never occurred to them trying to shine the shell but what you had brought before the the bedrock like deep down like that that's what you need to address first and again all the the lavishness and the external success didn't acknowledge or recognize the things that were going on like within within you that was uh I mean, it's really powerful to just, I mean, that story with the television, that one program, holy smokes, man, that's, that's heavy. Well, it was clear that there was an invitation. I mean, and, and, you know, the woman, I mean, it was, God said, look, you obviously don't know how to do this. Let me help you. That one, I, you know, pretty much. And, and. Here's what I know. I know that there's nothing very interesting or special about Kellen. I know that every single person, you and everyone who listens to your show or mine or any others, we're all just as important and we all have mission, purpose, design, gifts, and yearning that we sometimes listen to and often don't because we're told this is supposed to happen and we need to do it this way or that way and we don't listen or seek the kind of direction and strength to to be the creator of our lives and so if there's anything that this all taught me it is that we do that and that we don't have to and that's why i said to you before we started my you know my goal right now and i literally mean from first breath to last every day through my morning ritual, my preparation, everybody I talk to is I'm helping 10 million people and that's a floor, not a ceiling, discover, develop and serve with their divine gifts because I know we will be fulfilled, we will be happy, we will make more difference and we will be prosperous and things will feel joyful more. And so that's all I do. So you had this moment with your now wife. How did we get from there to what you just were bringing? Like, 
10 million, 10 million people. That's a lot. How did we get from there into that statement? And you brought up forgiveness. Like, I think that's a really, I mean, I'd love to sit on that just a little bit, especially if you wrote a book about it. And for the record, my first 10 episodes of this podcast ever was with my first business partner. He and I had a seven year fallout where we didn't talk. And I look at that, those first, that first block where he helped shepherd me back in this, but was also at our exercise of how do we learn how to forgive and come together again and share our experiences from both sides and let bygones be bygones. It is what it is. I'd love to hear about your process through that. And especially the forgiveness. Cause I think many people, we already talked about forgiving themselves, but also learning how to forgive others, whether it's pride or whatever. I'd love to just hear your take on that. So it's played a huge role. And next to the word love, forgiveness is the most important word in the language. And we'll talk about that right now. The first years of our relationship were not, it was, we were magically, divinely brought together, but the rest was work. <laughs> so, you know, we had to learn to know each other. We didn't know each other. We had to learn to get along. We had to learn to accommodate. I had a double, triple, quadruple baggage because I had to figure out how to tell the truth and be a person and not need to hide and to pretend and to be okay all the time. And all of that stuff was not only foreign, but poison to me. And so I had to learn that. And there were, you know, there were difficult things. There were times when I had to, I had to learn a lot. And I had just decided, I mean, it, what's clear is that there's a, there's a keen interest on the part of the creator to have us succeed. And if we're willing to say yes and to go after it, the help and the path is there, but we have to walk. There's no, uh, you know, no uh, four-wheeler is going to come along and give us the, the ride. So the, the walk and the work is still there. And so those years had to happen. I had to go see a lot of counselors. I remember in working on this depression stuff, one of the things that... One manifestation for me was I always felt responsible for everything and everything was my fault. If something wasn't right or if something didn't go right, it was my fault and I screwed up and sort of evidence that I was supposed to, you know, everything was my fault. So one day, Joy, oh, oh I didn't tell you that. My wife's name is Joy. Like, like you can't make this stuff up, right? Yeah. Perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. It, well, it, her name is Joy. Okay. So. One day, Joy said something to me, and we, I described, we finally got names for things. I described that feeling that I had as someone sanding my eyeballs. So this, we called it the sandpaper feeling when I felt everything was like I was an attacked, like somehow emotionally attacked. So she said something to me, and <clears throat> I felt attacked. And I said, why did you say that? And she, why are you attacking me? Well, I'm not. I just was saying this. And... No, and I, anyone, any sane person, I said, any sane person who heard, standing by watching our conversation, who heard you say that, would think you had attacked me. There's no other possible interpretation. Like, what else could it mean? And she said, well, I, I don't know what, you know, I don't know about that, but I don't think so. I didn't mean whatever. So I thought about it. And then all of a sudden, a picture came to mind. I used to have season passes every winter to a place called uh, Sunshine, which is in Banff, Alberta. And if you've never been to Banff, Alberta, it, when I lived in Calgary for a long time, people used to ask me, where do you live? And I would say an hour from heaven. 
Banff in the Rockies is like there's nowhere in Switzerland that's prettier or anything. It's just like there's a hotel. You go in and you actually go in on the seventh floor. And if you go out, go through it and look in the rooms, it drops straight off seven stories. It's, it's just incredible. But anyway, so I had season passes to Sunshine and I would go up there every weekend and ski. And there's this one lift that goes up one mountaintop over here. And it overlooks this valley and it's beautiful and everything else. And then there's another lift over here that goes up to another mountaintop and it overlooks the same valley. But even though it overlooks the same valley, uh, it looks different because you're on another mountaintop. And uh, all of a sudden I was sitting by myself and I took her words, my own words. What else could it mean? And I said them, I subtracted the emotion and I said, well, okay, what if... Just thought exercise. What if, we'll just take root of word. What else could it mean? My words. What, what else could it mean? So subtracting the emotion, what else could it mean? And all of a sudden, this picture of these two lifts over the same valley uh, appeared in my mind as I thought this through. And I realized for the first time in my life, or at least the first time with this kind of power, there is another mountaintop. Mm. And that all of a sudden the entire framework of everything just sort of crumbled in a good way. And so that's just one incident of the idea of the kind of work that I was doing. There is another mountaintop. And one of the most important and first things we can realize is while we see the world the way it is, people say you don't see the world the way it is, you see the world the way you are. Well, that's not an indictment. You only have one set of glasses. So of course you see the world the way you are. How else could you see it? But the first realization is, well, there is another set of glasses. There, there is such a thing as another mountain. Holy crap. And so successive things like that where you start to understand viscerally the truth. And so that was part of the journey. There were, there were many pieces to that. And, you know, her equanimity, her steadiness um, in doing that for me was why I say, you know, she was the angel that was brought to do that. Like it was that. Wow. You know, that allowed, and it was my work. I mean, I sat by myself and thought about it and that thought came to me about the two lifts and the mountain and I thought there really is. Holy shit. And then I started thinking, well, where else could that be true? And, you know, I started thinking of things, where else? And, you know, like, it, it just felt like the whole building crumbled. This whole story that, and it was liberating and revealing and enlightening. And, and so, but I, not but anything, it was, period. For your listeners who think, well, that doesn't happen to me. I will help you understand how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. It happened because I meditate every morning, because I was seeking and reading and trying to find. I won't give up until. That, that's why those things happen. They don't happen by accident. The invitation at the beginning, the two by four, was you know extraordinary. But it didn't tell me what to do. It just said, not this. 
okay, now what? You know, three weeks later, I'm without work. So is she. We're sitting there trying to figure out what's next. Okay, we followed directions. Uh, yeah, now what? And so, seek and ye shall find is like real visceral instruction to me. So that process happened and it continues to happen. And when I say I have a two and a half to three hour morning ritual, that is a developed living process that goes around the acronym SPEM, spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental. That's an arbitrary division about the parts of life. So I spend a significant time seeking and connecting with intuition, the divine, the universe, God, call it whatever you want, the thing we all feel and know is there. Time physically honoring the body that I have so that the container will stay as healthy as I can get it. Now, you know, I have all kinds of problems. My vision's 2,500. I wear contacts that are as big as pie plates that go clear out to the whites of my eyes. I have hereditary hearing loss. I, you know, I'm not blessed with, without these kinds of problems. So physical, emotional is all of your relationships. And when I teach clients how to do that, I say it, start with 10, 10, 10, 10, 40 minutes. And your 10 minutes in relationships is what I have people do is think of three or four people who you either want to repair a relationship or strengthen and send some texts or emails that are out of love and kindness. Just do that on purpose. And M is mental. I have like 30 books sitting here that I'm in the middle of. And I read one or two or three chapters. And because I like to read a lot, I've developed a system to teach people how to read 10 times faster so I can read a lot. So I do that too. And, and that is spam. And when I find when you do that, and now it's grown to a long time instead of 40 minutes, it prepares you for who you want to be. And so that means every event during the day, whether it's talking to you or coaching a client, which I will do next, or creating some stuff for social media, or working on a product, or working on my next book, or Joy's mother lives with us. She's 90 and a half, and so we'll be taking care of her till she passes, because she's too wobbly and can't be alone. <clears throat> um, no matter what it is, it is from the place of who I have declared and created myself to be. Hmm. Something that really sticks out in that the invitation and then followed by the work. My friends and I talk a lot about this, the, the notion of the Disney movie ending. <laughs> We're going to, you know, the hero's journey, whatever, get the girl right off into the sunset, yeah, whatever. And I see that so much in marriages. People just get so wound. I was ironically just past weekend, I was at a, my brother's bachelor party they have a very strong relationship, but just, I see so many relationships that were so predicated on this external validation of I'm throwing a massive party. We did it. We got married. And then what I see is like, so you just started what yourself and don't get me wrong. Cool. Awesome. You're celebrating love. Love is fun. But like the love that you grow over time that you're talking about this seeking, well, how do you do this thing? How do you live a fulfilling, loving, enriching, resilient, powerful, empowered marriage and relationship with a significant other. That's not just, we threw a big party and like, it's going to take care of itself. 
And that's why I was here with your routine, the two to three, two and a half hour, three hour, and it grew from that 40 minute window to something bigger. It should, it should get grow better, but it's got to take the work. And a lot of people just want to, I don't, I don't get that thing. Like I don't have these profound moments. Well, yeah, it's not just going to happen upon you just because you said you want it. You got to go do the thing. You do got to do the thing and you got to do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. You own a gym. If I don't, if I buy a gym membership and I never come, how strong am I going to get? If I watch you do push-ups, my arms aren't going to grow. You, you know, it, you see it in the physical thing. Well, there's a spiritual or energetic gravity. It is just like our physical gravity. It is strong. It resists you in proportion to the work you're putting in. If it weren't true, my muscles wouldn't grow. So I appreciate physical gravity and that it's the same and it's consistent and it's predictable the truth of the iron 100 pounds is 100 pounds today tomorrow next week energetic gravity is the same thing it is the resistance against which we press and work to grow our intuition our connection our tools our skills our listening our love love isn't a feeling it's a verb it is a choice to use your spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental resources, and yes, those are the same four, a choice to use those things to serve someone in their highest and best interest. Then you can say you love them. I tell my clients all the time that I love them because I do, and I use my spiritual, physical, emotional, mental resources to serve them with all my heart. So I love them, and I mean it, and they know it. And, and, and love can have romantic elements, and it should, and all of the rest, too. I mean, that's the start. That is the spark and the fire and the welding and the bonding that comes with intense heat takes the work after that. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. You're free to live like that way. But you're never going to have the refinement and the weld that the fire alone will create yeah i think that there's also this idea of like i want this guarantee that it's gonna end up this way <laughs> i'm like i'm gonna start on this path but like i better get that thing like how many reps do i need to do till i get the thing it's like that's not that's there's no guarantees on this thing but what i hear and all especially with like the passion and the love you have for working what I'm hearing with your clients and obviously with your, your wife, it's, it's that, that the doing the work is enough. Like that's the, that is the reward. There's something in that, that you're winning every day. And I mean, sometimes you're not going to feel it in like rainbows and butterflies. Like sometimes you're going to feel that power in like a dark moment with somebody just even holding space in a dark moment with somebody. It's not, again, not rainbows and butterflies, but there's richness to it. There's a connection. There's an experience. Uh, I sometimes jokingly say like my strange addiction. Well, not really jokingly, but I say my strange addiction is tears, happy or sad. It's, it's real. It's honest. It's, it's there. So like the same way you said that hundred pounds is hundred pounds, tears are tears. It's, it's a feeling of authenticity. So um, that really stuck out for me in, in your, your sharing right there. I'm also curious because I think a lot of people talk about don't mix business and personal things like that. And you said, you mentioned that your wife is your business partner. I'm curious about how that has played a role in the success of your marriage. And obviously 
the success of your business and your ability to impact so many people. Uh, so that wasn't magic either. Mm. Joy was a very independent person, is a very independent person. She had had done a lot of European travel on her own. She had had several businesses. She ran some antique stalls. Her dad was an archaeologist. She, when he passed away, she inherited a big collection of indigenous arrow points and scrapers and ceremonial clothing and all kinds of stuff and just stuff. And so she has run antique stalls, physical ones, like, you know, the antique malls and also had an active online presence selling antiques and collectibles, glassware, silverware, that kind of stuff for 20 five years. And so we've done both. Like there was a time when right after we got married, when, when we really pushed that. And so I was the pack horse. I would, we would go to the auctions and I would be the, I didn't know anything about all that crap, but I'll just move the boxes and stuff. And I was the guy that did the packing and shipping to send stuff like, you know, boxes, big boxes sometimes of glassware. And I learned to pack really well and et cetera, et cetera. And so I was that. And she is a, also a degreed designer, so she has a good eye for that. And so when we went on to start creating a website and I started, I, I wrote a five-volume series on meditation, one of the first five books that I wrote because that was such a profound part of my life. I started when I was in my teens, and it's probably the only reason I was preserved, even though I, during the years of darkness I attempted suicide twice. Um <clears throat> So when we started designing it, her design element came in and she, her role in the energy industry was a project manager. So she um, manages projects and people well. And over time, her eBay stores and physical stores just kind of got smaller and the coaching business and started writing the books got bigger. And so she dove into she's insatiably curious. I can learn to do that. Hmm, that's interesting. So she learned how to publish and she learned how to run a bunch of contractors. And so she manages all of our contractors now and our website stuff and all of our back end. She's become a ClickFunnels expert and, uh, you know, and so now she does all that too. And she still has an antique stall in the city here somewhere because her mom come to live with us about a year and a half ago and her, her condo's full of old furniture that, like antique furniture, not old furniture, meaning crap. And her brother, who is a, a PhD forensic psychologist and his wife's a shrink too. They're retired. And so they bought a condo and they're downsizing. He doesn't want to deal with all this stuff. And he's got all these old antiques that are from their dad. And so we've got two houses worth of stuff, furniture and everything to get rid of. And we're planning on moving this fall from Edmonton, Alberta, which is where we live now over to Vancouver Island off the coast because we are tired of the snow. And so we're moving to Vancouver Island, uh, you know, in, in, I don't know, now seven or so months. And so the amount of work that there is would kill a lot of people, but we're having fun. And when I say to you that from the minute I open my eyes till the minute I close them, I'm doing one thing and that's thinking of ways, whether I'm doing music, I own a recording studio and I have for 
40 years on and off, even over the terrible objections. So, uh, you know, whether I'm writing music or whether I'm writing books or whether I'm talking to you or whether I'm, I'm only doing one thing. And joy over the years has now leaned into this feeling of coaching. And so she's taken some things and sometimes she'll come and sit down with me. Say, all right, I need you to coach me to figure out how to deal best with her clients. And so we have developed with commitment and with the blood on the floor is the way I describe that effort. Uh, blood on the floor made a choice to consciously build something invincible, powerful, enviable, and that gives service. So it's a choice and it is something you build. People say, oh, I could do that if I had clarity. Clarity is overrated. It is not found, it is created. And yes, that rhymes. And I do that on purpose. And yes, you said it earlier, you can have anything you want. There's always a path from where you are to where you want to go. The only question is, are you willing to put in the reps on the machine? That that resounding commitment to the same thing is the thing that sticks out for me. I don't think enough people spend enough time putting the effort in to get clear on that, which like, much like you said, it's, it's created. It takes work to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about this damn thing. Like, are, and are you going to be honest about it? I think so many people are stuck in that appeasing. Like you said, you want it. Cool. I'll just help you do that. But do you really want it? How has that been different now? Like obviously you said you're married three times. And I'm also would love to hear more about like those suicide attempts because you know, that's a, that's a very powerful experience to go through. Uh, personally, I've never gone through that. So I find, find myself very fortunate, but creating that clarity that just, that takes work. It really does. And I want to go back to what I, something I said earlier. There's nothing special about me. I don't have anything anybody else can't have. I spent my early years and all those decades earning a lot of money. So one thing I knew how to do well was make a lot of money during the years of executive blah, blah, blah. I didn't know what to do with it, and I didn't. I was miserable, as you observed earlier, because you can never get enough of what you don't need because what you don't need won't satisfy you. So I don't care how much money you make. You can never get enough of what you don't need. I had a guy in my neighborhood that came by and told me, I have garage envy. I had like six cars and a souped up 850 horsepower Viper and a Elmer H2 and, and three motorcycles and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I have garage envy. And I was miserable and I'd run in the house and do 15 lines of cocaine. Like, like what is wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture is your heart is cold. Your heart is empty because you haven't declared who you are and you keep waiting for some externality. We live in a download and double click world. And we're taught that everything needs to be solvable in the length of a TV sitcom. They don't sell the sauce that you pour on your existing life and get a different result. You know, that's like platform nine and three quarters or aisle 13 and a half. They don't sell that sauce. You can have anything you want. You have to do the work. And yes, it's discouraging. And yes, it's hard. But what would it be if it wasn't? Like, though, these are things I have learned. I learned to work hard and get stupid things. But the work hard was a benefit. 
So I learned to work hard and got stupid things and they were hollow and the suicide attempts came. We all fear inadequacy. I lived with it and when I say self-loathing, it was, it was extreme. I believed with all my heart that all my marriage failures were my fault, that everything was, and I wasn't a good partner, but it always takes two to tango, but let's just say they were my fault. So I blamed myself for that. And I blamed myself for my kids' problems. And they were eager to jump right in because people are always looking for scapegoats. So I allowed that to continue. And at some point, you look at yourself in the mirror and you run out of excuses. You run out of reasons. You run out of mitigating circumstances. And the only thing that's left is, well, they're right. It's me. I am the cause, the root of all misery, suffering, evil in the life of all these people. And when you come to a place where that is true for you, there is a feeling that I cannot describe and doesn't have words, but I gave it a name and I called it the name of the black. That feeling is one of despair and certainty so deep that uh, ending your life seems like a merciful option. For you and everyone concerned. And that's the name of the album that accompanies Tightrope of Depression, because the songs on there are the songs of that struggle and suffering. And the name of the album of the second book is called Promise and Power and talks about how things change and growth and recovery. But the feeling at that point is real and it's intense and it is completely overpowering. And that's how I got to a place where I <clears throat> calculated for my body weight the amount of cocaine it would take to kill me. And I calculated for my body weight the amount of alcohol it would take to kill me and consumed them both to make sure I did, was dead. And what I didn't know at the time, oh, I did know at the time, alcohol and cocaine together make a new substance called cocaethylene, which is both more powerful and longer lasting than either one of the two. So it should have killed me three times. And it didn't. And I don't know why other than God had other plans. I remember the night afterwards insane suffering and hallucinations and face down on the floor in the study with my nose in the carpet in conversation of that I wouldn't even begin to repeat parts of all night long. And the point of that isn't the suffering. The point of that is the value of your heart. Because if there was any candidate that should be left at the bottom of the canyon, it was me. So if our creator cares that much about each one of us, then it's never too late. It's never too much, too far, too far gone, blah, 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 blah. Not true. But it isn't a free pass back. 
And you said something really profound a minute ago. The joy is the journey. I had a shrink that taught me that one day. We were talking about skiing at a place called uh, Kicking Horse, which is in Golden, British Columbia. And it used to be hella skiing only, but then they finally built some lifts there. And one of the lifts was called Stairway to Heaven, and it had a front side run that was beautiful. It was a black run and really steep and hard and glorious and holy moly. But if you did a traverse and went down the backside, you'd had to traverse for about 15 minutes and then go down the backside. It was a 10-foot drop to get in. So the backside of Stairway was a double black uh, run. It was like 4,200 feet of vertical, which is one of the longest drops in North America. And that was like... Well, all the way from top to bottom, just, you know, breathtaking, glory, hallelujah, blah, blah, blah. So my shrink asked me, said, so if you did, you got up that lift and you did that traverse and, uh, and then, then uh, a helicopter picked you up at the top and took you down to the lodge, you would have made it. You got to the lodge without the danger and without the frightening, harrowing stuff. Would that be fun? It's like, well, no, you idiot. The point is the is the run with the drop and the frightening fields and everything else and he looked at me and he said hmm and it landed huh oh man I, I holy crap where have i been looking for a helicopter oh I think that's a great question for a lot of people to ask themselves. Where are you been looking for the helicopter? Almost like you were looking for something else to save you and take you on the journey so you don't have to go through the, the difficult times. But hmm, that's a good question. That's a really good question. You know, where where are you looking for the helicopter? And, you know, when I said, well, of course I don't want a helicopter to come pick me up. I know it's dangerous and I know it's hard and I know whatever, but it's also, you know, I thought, you know, the joy is the journey. And that means up and all the work that Joy and I have put into this and all the solitary work, you know, in, in meditation and connection and soul searching and learning to tell the truth and learn, unlearning all the stuff that I learned before. You know, that's the thing that's made me who I am now. I mean, it's been 14 and a half years since <clears throat> that divine intervention. And I spawned a bunch of books and there are more. But they weren't accidental. brought up your kids a few times this journey now you said 10 kids how has this how's that relationship changed since you've gone a, gone on this different path and and i especially bring that up because i've talked to a lot of parents no matter what they no matter what parent i i hear so much like i feel like a failure i've yet to meet a mom who doesn't feel like they're failing and i think that that has led to some interesting consequences in many in many ways. So I'm just curious to see, especially considering post suicide attempt. So I've got 10 kids, half of them don't talk to me still. Mm. Uh, some of them still blame me for every negative thing that's gone on in their life. I got an email, um, I don't know, a few months ago from one of them, 
you know, my life is a disaster. You ruined my life. It's your fault. Well, she's in her mid thirties mm. and late thirties, actually. Uh, so no, I guess she's 40 and she's been married four times too. And he, he, though that weight, that I suck, I'm a failure, it's all my fault, was the guilt that I carried around. And this goes to forgiveness that you talked about. Look, you and me, and I'm speaking to your listeners, you and me were free to carry that guilt and let it beat us to death every day, all day, or just periodically and collapse in a pile of useless emotion for the failings that we really did have. And when we do that, we are useless to ourselves. We are useless to those people we could serve. And we are not living to the capability of our divine gift. We're free to do that, but it serves no one. And what it means is the mistakes of the past continue to punish you in the present. Forgiveness of yourself is a gift you give yourself not to pretend things didn't happen, not to invent absolution. That's God's purview, and I'll let him worry about that. It is a gift that you not only give yourself, but you, it's a gift you give to all those around you who can be encouraged by or learn from your journey, your authenticity, your growth, and your willingness to shine today, even though there have been mistakes. That guilt is what made it so hard for me to go and do the things that I do now, to start with. Only by realizing that, that that's, a, that's a drama in my mind. And the fact that one or more of my kids still want to have a scapegoat, when they possess sovereignty and the ability and capability to take control of their own lives, is not serving them. Because as long as I, you know, took the abuse and let them yell and do, do all that stuff, how is that serving them for their growth? It's not. So forgive yourself yesterday already and then make a commitment to be better and to move forward and on. Your or my forgiveness is not dependent on someone else accepting it or saying, oh, okay, I forgive you. Those are independent things. And their journey is whatever their journey is, and they will be moved to their place of growth when they are. And you don't control that. And so that is normal, and it will bleed you dry, and it will prevent you from serving with your divine gifts. Appreciate you sharing that. It made me think of this. Uh, I say I've only seen it as a meme on like Instagram or Facebook, and it's like this little story about two uh, two brothers, twins or something like that. But it was two brothers. Anyway, one was a uh, one grew up to be a. Um, oh, pardon me, change this. They, they their father was an alcoholic, and then they they goes ahead in the story and 
one ends up becoming like CEO, something like that. And the other one is a homeless person. And then somebody asks the question, well, why did, why do you credit your success to? It's like, well, my father was an alcoholic. Both answered the same thing. And it was what I heard in that. I was like, oh, it's the choice on how you're going to perceive these lessons that are being like the experiences you're going to go before. And not too dissimilar what you're saying, like you're sovereign within yourself to decide how you're going to move forward in this life. And I thought that that was really, really powerful. And a second thought that came to mind as you were sharing that was, and this has been in my own journey of self-forgiveness as well. So, you know, this is all just my thoughts within it. What I've found on my, as I started to forgive myself for the things I've done, whether the timeline was immediate or not, it started to allow for space for the relationship to come together. Because if I was too dark or didn't feel worthy of love, it also didn't hold space for both sides to heal. So it was almost as by me learning how to do that, it also allowed the next, the other, the other party to come to me in a way that was loving and accepting and embraceful and, and, and kind. Um, and that, I mean, no different than what I'd share with you before my first business partner, where it's far enough from each other for a long time. I realized, Hey, I had my own sides. He had his own sides. I'm going to forgive myself for my sides, but I'm also going to forgive him devoid of that. And then practice. And then all of a sudden the space was there for the two of us to be that. Um, I feel like you said something very similar in that. It's like, it's not helping them by just continuing to destroy yourself. If anything, it might only make it worse because it's well, like, I know. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And I know, I, I know, like, like I know these things, the, the time will come, there will be a day yeah. and it will be on their timeline when they've done that. I have done the work. I remain open, loving, and the opportunity is, and always will be there. I hold no, Anger, bitterness, or judgment toward anyone for anything, including myself. That's a true and honest statement. And so there will be, and when I get those kinds of negative things, the only thing I feel is just deep compassion. And, and so there will be a space and there will be a time, and I know that. And so it doesn't fuss me anymore at all. I know that. And I am therefore liberated to do all the good that I can here now knowing that there will be a space in that when that will happen. I think a lot of people are just expecting for it to still, much like we were talking before, I'm going to snap my fingers. Oh, I forgave myself. And then, you know, the rainbows and butterflies came through and like, and we're, we're all good. And it's that quick, like, I want to feel better, but it's not about that. It's about like the process as well. It's still going to have the moment. So I appreciate you sharing that. It's, Real love is not easy, man. I think people just think it's that honeymoon feeling all the time. And it both what value would it be? Let's pretend that it was for a second. It's not. But if it was, love is the power of creation. Love is the thing that holds the entire universe together. It's the most powerful force in the world. If it were just the feeling of honeymoon, rainbows, and butterflies, like it wouldn't even begin to have that kind of power. Hmm. It's true. 
Well, so it isn't that. And yeah. we can pretend it is as long as we want, just like I'm free to stay in self-loathing as long as I want. And I'm free to give up anytime I want. But there's no power in that stance. So the invitation that you extend to people at the gym and I extend every time I talk to someone is to ask yourself, what else can I create? Like given what is, I, I can spend all the time I want railing about what is, but instead, why don't you say given what is, what do I wish to create? and start from there. Mm. I'm going to simmer on that right there for a while. I've really loved our time together today, my friend. This has been really beautiful. And obviously I want to be respectful. I know you have another coaching session coming up. Um, any final thoughts, any advice, anything that, that you would love to share just with the audience? Yeah, love yourself. Like part of the morning ritual is to learn to love yourself. You know, we, we, we pretend that we love others more than, our love, more than we love ourselves. Well, you know, and that's a camouflage for a feeling of lack inside. You can't love anybody more than you love yourself. And if you pretend you can or you think you are, you're fooling yourself. So rather than go down that game of tomfoolery, why don't you go to work on loving yourself as you are in this moment here now? Not, I will love myself when... Just love you as you are here now. That doesn't mean you can't be working on something. But if you don't love yourself and you say, well, I got to do this to have that. I got to do this to be successful. I got to create this in order to be that. Then you're always in a place of I got to suck now and then I'll be better later. And that means you live in a place of perpetual suck. Why don't you live in a place of perpetual love by choice, by practice, by learning, and at the same time still be creating from love instead of creating or struggling to create from lack. Man. You've given me so much to think about today. And with that, like, I'm just grateful for just like one selfishly, this podcast is for me, like I'm a curious, I'm a curious guy and I just love listening to stories. But for me, this is my opportunity to just like to take a ride in somebody's world and glean their lessons. I've just learned like that's, we, we could just learn from other people. Like that's a beautiful thing about wisdom. It can be passed from one person to the other. Maybe it won't be as exact and contextually like the same feeling, but it's cool. To just be like, Oh, like this is part of hearing similarities in other people's worlds. And especially when it comes to challenges and growth and failures and overcoming obstacles and all those other things, like I'm, I'm coming to this place in my life where just, I find real joy and, and fulfillment and hearing other people share their, their stories of overcoming and then connecting and building like the life that they really want. So I really appreciate you sharing all that, especially I'm just so happy that you and your wife get to experience that journey together and creating something really profound and beautiful for other people. It's, I'm trying to work on getting my wife into this business as well. Um, because I think that the couple thing is the most powerful thing at the couple's coaching. Um, but Hey, it's on everybody on their own time as well. She's a fifth grade teacher. So, um, we'll see where that journey goes, but, uh, have you, have you taken the opportunity to write anything about what you've done? Have you written a, like your own story or book or anything like that? I've been, uh, I have the blog for my, uh, my stuff. So a lot of just my observations and reflections on the past few years, especially, especially from closing the gym to moving on into this endeavor, whether it's been whatever, like it's been reflections on 
lessons from my father and my mother and from everything. But yeah, I'm working. I'd like to write a book at some point, take all these pieces and put it into one thing. So that's, that's in the, uh, the noggin in there somewhere. There's the manual. There we go. The story arc. Uh, I, I wrote, after I wrote a bunch of books, I never planned on being an author. When I was doing that executive crap for 30 years, I didn't write much. I wrote some technical papers and stuff like that. And I didn't plan on being an author. And after I wrote uh, some books and realized, gee, I have a system. And I started conducting workshops and helping people write the books. And then I thought, you know, this is really good. I should write this book. So I did. And that's what it is. And now I conduct uh, three or four times a year. It's not a big piece of business, but it's something I do for fun. Uh, help a small group, like five or six people, in 90 days finish a book. Like if they stay with the homework in 90 days, I'll have the first draft done. And the story arc is the manual. So if you want to see the method that I put together to collect, to sift through, to collect the ones that are important, to define a story and how you can help people, that is a place to look. I wrote it because I couldn't find it. So I thought, hmm, I should write this. So I did. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. I just wrote, made some notes on my little, my thing right there. I'm going to, I'm an avid reader myself. So um, I'm, I always am looking for another great thing to just help refine my own messaging. So I appreciate that. Um, to that effect, you know, somebody's listening right now and they're like, man, I, I love this guy's message. I'm going through some stuff. He sounds like he'd be a great person for me to, to work on improving myself. I want to make my own personal, um, my P my P hack. I want to, I want to have that. Uh, I like the acronyms. I do. Um, what would be the best way for somebody to, to connect with you? You know, the fun thing about having a weird name like Kellen Flukiger is I can't hide. So uh, if, you, you, if you spell my name right and put it in on Google or Amazon or Facebook or LinkedIn or, you know, YouTube, like I'm all over the place. So anybody that says they can't find me, the only, there's only two possibilities. One, they're lying and they're not looking or two, they spell my name wrong. If you spell my name right, I can't hide. So it's it's not complicated. You can follow me anywhere you like. You can reach out on Facebook Messenger. You know, my email's Coach Kellen Flukiger at, at gmail.com. Like, it's not complicated to find Kellen. Perfect. I have also, from your assistant, I got your, uh, your contact information as well. So I'm going to put all that in the show notes. Um, so anybody who's listening, hey plenty of ways to stay connected. Obviously all the books that, especially the one on forgiveness, I think that would be a great one for a lot of people. So, um, yeah, man, Kellen, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really just grateful to my first time ever getting to know you. And I, I really just take, I've taken a lot of great insight from you sharing your, your, your experiences today. And, and like I started off with, I, I highly value authenticity and vulnerability and, um, sharing the darkness and the light is, uh, is immensely valuable to me as a human being. And I, I think anybody else listening is going to help take away some great stuff today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for just joining me on this journey. You're welcome. And again, I want to end with uh, acknowledging and honoring the work that you're doing because it's important. Different age groups, different opinions, different points of view, all focused on inviting people to hear that voice that we all hear, but to pay attention and to say yes. So thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for having me. And I have enjoyed getting to know something about you also. Appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. And everybody, make sure you go check out Kellen's work. 
in the uh, show notes. And until next time, dear friends, I remind you to love every body. <laughs>